This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Uh, Mark chapter, yeah, Mark, we're in Mark. Mark chapter 12 is uh, where we are going to, to be today. Um, and, and this is one of those passages that my guess is you have heard uh, more than once. Even if you, this is your first time in a church, um, my guess is you've heard this talked about. Uh, love God, love others. Love God, love your neighbor, right? Even, even those who want to um, argue and fight against Christianity, Christianity, right? That'll be something they're like, hey, you're supposed to love others, right? So like, it, it can even be used as ammunition, right? We've all heard this. The, the thing about today is this is not new information that, that we're gonna have to be like, okay, let's understand the context, let's dissect this, what does this mean? Like, help me understand, like, like it, that's not the challenge today. The challenge today is, do we trust that what God tells us is best, and will we actually obey it? Right, th- that's, what, that's what today is gonna come down to. It's not gonna be this, this message where we're like, all right, God, I'm learning something brand new today. That's not, it's not it. The, the challenge is going to be, will we humble ourselves to trust that what God tells us is actually best, and will we obey it? That's what we're gonna get in Mark chapter 12. So let's read it together, um, and then we'll, we'll just talk it out together. Mark chapter 12, verse 28. One of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that, he answered them well, asked him. So this scribe, he he sees, you know, Jesus is in a series of of debates where where different religious groups are trying to trap Jesus, to discredit him, right? To, To crush his influence in ministry. So they're throwing all these hypothetical questions at him, thinking that at some point Jesus is going to go, oh no, I don't know what to say. Or he's going to be like, oh yeah, this doesn't make sense. The resurrection's false, right? They're trying to trap him. But Jesus continues to answer well. And so this scribe, listening into all of this, is like, okay, he's answering these questions well. And he brings his own question to the table. He says, which commandment is the most important of all? Which commandment is the most important of all? That, that if you get this one, everything else kind of flows downstream from it, right? If you, if you, if you get this, everything else will come together. Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Jesus continues, right? The scribe asks for one. Jesus says, I'll do you one better. The first is love God. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength. And to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all of whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. 
And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So we've got a scribe come up and ask Jesus. He sees that Jesus is answering well, and, and, and rather than try to trap Jesus, he brings his own question to the table. Jesus, what is the most important commandment? Right? If I'm going to start with one, what's the one that is going to influence the others? What's the one that is going to, like, like a bicycle wheel, right? That, it, that if you put that in the middle, all the other spokes kind of flow from it. All right, what's that one commandment that I should, should focus on? And when I was reading this, I was like, why did he ask this question? That, that's a, the, the question why is a great question to ask when you're reading the Bible. Why? Why is he asking this question? He could have asked anything, right? Why, why is he asking this? And, and I believe that he asked this question because he ultimately wants to know what Jesus has to say. He sees that Jesus is answering these, these insincere, these manipulative questions. And so he's like, okay, if Jesus can handle these, then perhaps Jesus can actually answer the question that I want to know the answer to. Jesus, what is most important? And so why is this the question that he wants to know the answer to? Why is this a question that, that you and I should want to know the answer to? Whoa. Well, he's a, he's a Jew, and so he's been taught the Old Testament his whole life. And so he knows that in Psalm 1611, we quote this verse a lot, God says, David writes, for you, God, make known to me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. He would have known that from the time he's grown up. He knows the Old Testament. He knows that the fullness of life is found in the presence of God. Right? The, the fullest life he can live is found walking with the God of the world. He knows that. He also knows what Deuteronomy 30 says. Deuteronomy 30, verses 15 to 20. See, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil, right? The fullness of life is set before you. One way leads to life and good. The other way leads to death, death and evil. Here comes the conditional phrase. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, that I command you today, by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you're entering to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days, that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give them. So this scribe, this good Jewish man has grown up knowing the Old Testament, and he knows that, man, life is, there's, there's really two options to live life. And the Bible says the two options are the way of life and good or the way of death and 
perishing. And the way of life in good is in the conditional, if I obey the commandments of God, then he will bless me. He will give me favor. He will pour his, his, his acceptance upon me. But if I disobey, then I will be cursed. I will perish. I will suffer harm. I will not receive the blessing that comes from God. So he knows if I obey the commandments, then I receive God's acceptance and blessing. If I do what God tells me, it's right here in the Old Testament, then God's acceptance is favor on me. But if I disobey, then God's blessing, the fullness of life, it's, it's not for me. So he's looked to Jesus, and he's like, okay, Jesus knows this stuff. Jesus, I want blessing. I want abundance. I want favor. I want acceptance, right? We, let's be real honest here. So do we, every one of us. You put before me two options, life and death. Not a tough one, right? You put before me two options, blessing or cursing. Right? That, that's, that's how we're wired. And he knows, okay, if I conditionally obey, that's when I get God's favor and blessing. Well, Jesus, dadgum, tell me where to start. You know? Tell me the big one. Like, let me start upstream so I can just flow on downstream. I can float the river. So he's like, what is the most important commandment? And Jesus is like, well, good sir, I'll tell you. And he quotes from Deuteronomy. He says the most important commandment is the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love. That's our verb. That's our action. Love Love God, love your neighbor. Anybody got a quarter in their pocket? I'm kidding, nobody's got a quarter. <laughs> Who keeps quarters around anymore, you know? No one's got cash. I, I was laughing at places like that. You can pay with cash. Who's got cash? So on a quarter, you have one quarter, right? On one side, you have heads. On the other side, you have tails. Heads and tails, Brandon. It's, it's one quarter. No, not president name. I couldn't tell you. I don't know. I don't know. You got heads and you got a tails. The two sides make one quarter. Jesus is saying there's one command and it's to love. It's to love God and it's to love your neighbor. If you don't love your neighbor, you're not loving God. If you're loving God, you're loving your neighbor. The two are two sides of the same coin. He's like, I'll tell you the most important command. Love the Lord your God. With everything you have, all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love God, but you are not loving God if you don't do the second commandment. So let me tell you that as well. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you love God and if you love your neighbor, every other commandment that is found in the Bible will happen. If you want to receive God's blessing and his favor and his acceptance in the fullness of life. Love God and love your neighbor. Everything else will flow. If you want to step outside of God's blessing and favor and acceptance, don't love God and don't love your neighbor. It's two sides of the same coin. 
So if we're sitting here and we're thinking, I love God, but we are not loving our neighbor, Jesus would immediately tell you, then you're not loving God. Let's not kid ourselves. First John makes that abundantly clear too. If you say you love God, but you have hate for your brother, you're a liar. You don't love God. Because God explicitly tells us that to love him, we must love our neighbor. And in loving our neighbor, we're actually loving him. Love. Those, that's the command that God gives us today. This is not new information. I'm not reading a verse that we've never heard before. The greatest commandments from Jesus, the the way into the fullness of life in his presence is to love God and to love our neighbor. The way to step outside of his blessing, outside of his favor, is to not. Do we trust that this is the way of life? Love God, love your neighbor. And will we obey it? So now let's, let's talk some more about this word love. Because it, it's a tricky word in English. English is a ridiculous language. Like, the, the number of silent letters, who, who puts a P on the front of pterodactyl? Like, was that just to confuse people? I don't get it, I don't get it at all, right? So English is a weird, it's a weird language, right? So we take the word love and we use it for anything and everything, right? Anything and everything. I love fajitas, right? I love fajitas. Give me a good fajita. Really, burger, burgers are my sweet spot. Jew Boy Burger, it's my favorite burger just down the street. Shout out to Jew Boy. Man, I'll, you, I'll go there and I'll get me a burger and their tots are golden, man. Just, and, and so many, so many. I love it. Like, don't skimp on the tots. No, anyways, I love that stuff. It's my jam. I also, I, I love our house. Like, I love to have a roof over my head. I love a bed, I do, I like to sleep in a bed, you know, I love my family, all, all of them. <laughs> Crazy, I know, wild. Yes, no, I don't love the cat. I love my family who loves the cat. I don't love the cat, we're working on that. I love Clark, that's our dog, right? I love God, but surely, I love God cannot mean the same as I love Jew Boy Burgers, right? Like, like surely even I love my family, the word love can't mean the same for I love burgers. You know what I'm saying? So like we throw the word love on anything and everything, which is why it confuses us on like, okay, Jesus, what does it mean to love God and love our neighbor? The Greeks, they had four different words for the word love. We just see in English the word love, but if we were to read this in the Greek, we could see four different words for the word love. The first one is storge. That is a a warm affection, a fond feeling for someone or something, right? I storge, you know, my, my family. I storge Clark. I could storge burgers, right? I got, I got a fond feeling for those burgers. You know what I'm saying? So that's storge, I love those things. I have fond, it's, it's feeling based. I have fond feelings for a person or a thing. The next one is philia. That's a friendship, right? 
That, that's, a, that's a brotherhood, a sisterhood, right? You're in a sorority. You, you love my sorority sisters. Those are your, that's your family, right? Those are your, your friendships. You're on a sports team, right? Like, I love my, 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 my teammates. There's this shared interest. There's a, kins, a kinsmanship, right? My best friends, I've got, a, I've got a brotherly affection for them. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, right? Because it comes from the Greek word, Philia. So that's another word for love. Eros, right? That's where you get your word. Erotic. It's a romantic, a passionate, a sexual love for someone. I eros Stephanie. Really needs to stop at that point, right? You know? But it's a romantic, passionate, you know, sexual kind of love. None of those three words for love is what we see in Mark chapter 12. And it's not the predominant use of the word love in the New Testament. What we see in Mark chapter 12, the command that Jesus gives us, this is where we got to lean in because this is what Jesus is commanding us. It's the, the best way to life. And if you're a Christian, which I venture most of us are, if you are a Christian, hear me, this is not optional. If we think this command is optional, you are not a Christian. Let's just let that sink in. If you think this command is optional, you can pick and choose when or who. You're not a Christian. I'm not saying we're going to get it perfect, but I'm saying deep down, if we're like, I don't have to love this person, Jesus would, would question whether you truly know him. If we are a Christian, this is not optional. We have to pursue this. The love that we get here is the word agape. Again, we've heard it before, agape, agape love. It's the love that God has for us. It's the love that Jesus demonstrates for us. So what is the definition of Jesus? The most important is agape God. The second is agape your neighbor. What is the definition of agape? I'm gonna say this slowly and we're gonna break it down. Agape is the intentional choice the intentional choice to actively and selflessly pursue the well-being and pleasure of another without condition. Let me just leave that up there for a second. Agape is the intentional choice. It is not feeling-based. We are called to agape love others regardless of how we feel about them regardless of what feelings they produce for us. It is a willful, volitional choice that we make. Every day, every moment of every day, it is not. Now, there may be great feelings, for sure. I have great feelings for my wife, but, but sometimes I don't have great feelings for her. Sometimes I'm, it's rare, it's rare, it's rare, right? But it's real, right? live life with anybody for more than a day and there's times you're like okay I can do without that <laughs> you know sometimes we don't feel so affectionate and fond of someone nonetheless agape the command is a choice we get to choose and what are we choosing to actively pursue their well-being and good Agape love is not good intentions. It's not, I'll get to it tomorrow. 
It's not once these conditions are met. Agape is the choice to actively, to put into action the pursuit of their well-being and their pleasure. If I know this is good for them, I'm going to pursue that. If I know this will please them and it's not sinful, I'm going to pursue that. It's the intentional choice to actively and selflessly, this is where we get hung up with agape, selfishness runs deep, deep. It runs deep. That's where we get hung up on agape. I don't want to love this person right now because kind of they're being a jerk. I don't want to love this person because he hurt me, like actually hurt me. I don't want to learn to love this person because they're difficult. And it takes a lot of freaking work to figure out what makes this person happy. That's when selfishness comes running in and it hits the brakes in our lives of intentionally choosing to pursue, right? So agape is intentionally choosing to actively and selflessly, I am putting away what I prefer, what I desire, what I want in lieu of choosing what he or she wants, what's best, what's good. We're pursuing their well-being and pleasure. Pleasure is, man, if, if, if it pleases someone, and it's not sinful, I'm called to pursue that. If it's sinful, then it's no longer their well-being. I don't pursue that. Right? But if it pleases another and it is not sinful, I am called to lay down myself and pursue that pleasure. I'm called to pursue their well-being, what is best, what is good. Sometimes the most loving thing is conflict. If I see you heading towards a train wreck, it is unloving for me to stand back and go, man, they, she really wouldn't like me stepping in her life right now. Like he, he would not like me calling him out for that. Oh, there's a train wreck. They're about to get blown up. I know, man. He doesn't like me telling him what to do. That's not love. Sometimes the most loving thing is conflict. Now, we don't have to be a jerk about it, right? We don't have to be, you know, some chump. We just need to love them enough to say, hey, this is not going to end well. This blind spot that you and we all have, you need to see that for your own good. I love you enough to tell you this is not for your best. So we're intentionally Choosing. That means in this moment, when he says to love God, you choose. I am going to sing a song to God, and I'm going to set my mind and my heart to him. That's a choice that we make. That's not a feeling of whether Charlie's hitting the guitar right, you know, or, you know, Macy's singing in a way that's going to emotionally evoke us. It's a choice. I'm going to intentionally choose to sing my praise to God. I'm going to intentionally choose to actively show up and be present and selflessly pursue God's glory and the good of my church. That's a choice that we get to make and that is agape love and it is without condition. We do not get to love when we know that we're gonna get loved back. Man, that is, that's me. Like, hey babe, I'm gonna give 
all that I can for you. But deep down, I'm really kind of expecting like, hey, here's my list of what I want you to give back. If you can take that and I can take this, then we're good. What would it look like to choose to love someone and have no certainty that they're going to love you back? That's why this is a trust. That's why it's trusting that it's God's best because loving someone that way is risky and vulnerable and we have no guarantee that it's going to end well for us other than the guarantee we get from God that one day, perhaps in heaven, there will be a reward for it. But in this lifetime, if I love another flawed, sinful human being, not only is there no guarantee, let me give you the guarantee, it's going to fall apart at some point. It's going to break down. It's going to hurt you. And yet that is the command that God gives us. It's not optional. It's the command that God gives us, and it's the promise at its best. The command, Jesus says, is to agape God, to choose, to actively and selflessly pursue his well-being and pleasure, regardless of our feelings towards him, regardless of if, he likes, if we like what he tells us, regardless of if he answers our prayers the way that we want him to answer those prayers. It is a day in, day out, 24-7, my whole life, my thoughts, my affections, my motives, my actions, my words are honoring and pleasing God. That's the command that Jesus gives us. God, you are above all. You are the one God. There's none like you. There's none that are above you. You deserve everything I have. And it's choosing. It's choosing to actively and selflessly pursue his well-being and pleasure. And what is God's well-being like, right? That's, that's interesting. It's, it's, it's choosing his glory, his best, his honor. Which what pleases God the most is us. It's, it's communion with us in his creation, the pinnacle of his creation. The, 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 the shining moment was when he created humanity. Only humanity was made in his image. Only humanity was made to be able to commune with him the way that we are. God's desire, he doesn't need anything from us. He doesn't need us to fill up his love tank. It's full, it's overflowing, he's good. He doesn't need us to fill up his glory bucket, right? He's fine. He's, he's plenty glorious. He's plenty wonderful. He's plenty holy. He desires for us to commune with him and to connect with him. That's what pleases him most is, is us. When we give him our hearts and our thoughts and our lives and we trust him, that's what pleases him most. That's what brings him the most glory and honor. And so to love God is to give him all of us, everything. Hold nothing back. That's what it looks like to love God. I think a lot of times we can get very ritualistic in this. Oh man, to love God means I've got to come to church. And then when we're singing and, and the song hits the downbeat and the, the tempo picks up, that's when I raise my hands because then I really love God. And if I'm like, pooh, crushing it, close my eyes. You know, like those are the things that that's how you know someone loves God. I read my Bible, like, and those are all good, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we're connecting with God. I can do all of that in my heart, be far from him. He wants our hearts. That's what pleases him most. And so to love God is to take every thought, 
and point it towards him, to, to take every word and honor him, to take every action and honor him with those actions. 1 Corinthians 10, whether you eat or drink, do it to the glory of God. You go down to Jew Boy today and you get a burger and tots, praise God for that burger and tots. You can worship God as you eat a burger and tots. Amen? Come on. Colossians 3, whatever you do in word or in deed, do it to the glory of God. Every word we speak should praise God. Everything we do should praise God. And that's a choice that we get to make. That's the first command. The second, the other side of the coin is to love your neighbor as yourself. The assumption is that we're, we're naturally going to pursue our own well-being and pleasure because we are. And so Jesus says, whatever you would do for your own well-being, do it for your neighbor. Whatever you would do for your own pleasure, do it for your neighbor. I mean, it's the golden rule, right? That comes straight from Scripture. Do unto others as you would like for them to do unto you. You don't want people to talk to you rudely, then don't talk to people rudely, right? You want people to, to be there for you, then be there for people, right? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. You want to actually eat food and not be hungry, then help other people eat food and not be hungry, you want to have clothes and look nice? Then help other people have clothes and look nice. Anything that we would do to love ourselves, we're called to do to our neighbor. To love our neighbor as ourselves. To intentionally choose to actively and selflessly pursue the pleasure and well-being of another without condition. Your spouse, your kids, man, it's, the, it's those closest to us that oftentimes get the short end of our love stick right? I don't want, I don't know, this is uncomfortable. Like this person makes me mad. And when we're called to love them, to pursue their well-being and pleasure, regardless of if they reciprocate. Your, your, your boss passed you up for a promotion, had a buddy come join the team, and next thing you know, that buddy has now leapfrogged you still called to actively pursue the well-being and pleasure of our boss. The coworker that was talking bad about you, spreading rumors, still called to actively love our enemies, those who do harm to us. And we're also called to pursue their well-being. If it's not for their best, then we don't want to perpetuate something. I mean, the Bible gives us so many things pursue and maintain peace with one another. You got, you got disunity with somebody? To love that person is to pursue peace with them. It's to swallow our pride, to own our mistakes, and to pursue peace. Outdo one another in showing honor. Right? You want to love your neighbor and then show them honor. Lift them up. Shine the spotlight on them, even if it puts you in the background. Welcome one another as Jesus welcomed you. You want to love your neighbor? Then open up your home and your life to invite people in. Right? Be, be a church that welcomes in the outsider. 
leave the comfort of your close friends and go build a friendship with someone else. The same way that, let's be honest, if you were the outsider, you would hope someone would leave the comfort of their friendship to come find you. Forgive one another as Christ has forgiven you. Choose to take the offense and remove it from how you view that person. That doesn't necessarily mean that that relationship is reconciled and back to how it was, but it does mean we can forgive them for the wrong when they've sought forgiveness. Bear one another's burdens. That comes from Galatians. You got some people in your life that you're like, good gracious, can you get your stuff together? Because it's getting heavy. And God says, bear their burdens. Don't grow weary from doing good. Be patient. Teach and admonish. Care for needs. Anything and everything that is best and brings pleasure to another, we're called to choose to pursue that as best we can. Assuming it's for their good and it's not sinful, we're called to do that. These are the commands that Jesus gives us. One of the things I think is most loving to God and to others is to respond well. It's not perfection. It's not perfection. God doesn't expect perfection from us. We shouldn't expect perfection from one another. But one of the most loving things we can do is to respond well when we are imperfect, imperfect. To, to, to just confess our sin and get back on track. God understands that. He just wants us to respond well, to confess our sin and own it with one another and, and respond well, correct. That's one of the best and most loving things we can do because we're not going to be perfect. So let's respond well when we're not. Why, why should we do this? Because this is not easy. It's a denial of self. It's a preference of God. It's a preference of others. Why should we do this? Why does it matter? Well, first, if we go back to the beginning of verse 29, Jesus said, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Why should we love God and love our neighbors? Because God says so. And he's God. He's God. It, uh, I've never been in the military, but from what I understand, when your commanding officer tells you something, that's it. You, you do it. Whether you like it or not, whether it's safe or not, you do it. Your commanding officer said, go left, you go left. No questions asked. But that, he's God. He's our commanding officer. He's our Lord and King. He is one God above all. He has every right to tell us exactly what to do and to not give us anything. Sometimes I forget, I think we forget that he is the holy, righteous God of the world. He deserves everything we have. But the great thing about this God is that he's also abundant in mercy and steadfast love. Why, do, why should we do this? Because 1 John tells us we love because he first loved us. 
We, we, we love him. We do this because he first loved us. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, it's that love of Jesus that compels him to, to love others, compels him to follow after Christ. He's controlled by the love of God. So, so what is this love? What is the love of God that's so compelling, that's so controlling, that, that invokes us to love him in return? Let's go back to the first, first question I asked. Why did the scribe ask this? Why did he ask Jesus this? Because God said, if you obey my commandments, you will receive life and blessing and abundance. But if you do not, you will receive death and cursing and, and perishing. It's a conditional promise. God's promise to you and me is conditional. It's conditional on our perfect obedience. Heaven, God's blessing, God's favor, God's life is conditional on our obedience. And the problem is, none of us have obeyed. That's why Jesus tells him at the end, you are not far from the kingdom of God. That even when he knew the rules and he knew what to do, he was still not there. Why? Because he'd already failed. Because you and I have already failed. We've already broken the conditions. The love of God is that Jesus came to fulfill the conditions for us. That Jesus came to live the perfect obedience in our place. And so when we trust Christ, when we trust that on the cross he takes away our sins, when we trust that in his resurrection he gives us his righteousness, then the conditions are met, not because we meet them, but Jesus meets them for us. So now we can walk in his life and abundance and favor and blessing, even though we've screwed up our whole lives. Because Jesus has already met the conditions for us. He fulfills what God expects. And in faith, he invites us to follow him. To grow in that abundance. Not to earn it, it's already given to us. It's to receive and to grow in that. That is the love that, that honestly, until that grips our heart, we're not going to love God the way he calls us to until we recognize that we, we'd already broken and, uh, and not met the conditions and it was impossible for us to meet the conditions, but Jesus did it for us. Until that grips our heart, that grace grips our heart, we're, we're always gonna struggle here. That's the love of God for us, that while you and I were sinners not meeting his conditions, Jesus came and met the conditions for us. I mean, who loves that way? Jesus, who intentionally chose to actively and selflessly pursue our good and our well-being without condition. God had a condition for us. We failed. Jesus loved us without us meeting that condition. That's agape love. That's the love he's shown to us that then we're called to turn around and give it back out, to love God and to love others. And the promise of God is that he is for us and for abundant life. I realize sometimes love is risky and it's vulnerable and it's gonna leave us hurt. And God's asking us to trust him that even through the suffering, there's a joy and abundance that we wouldn't know apart from the suffering. 
Jesus hit that point in the garden. He knew the Father was telling him to go to the cross, that love, agape, was to go to the cross, but his flesh didn't want to. That meant suffering. It meant pain. It meant death. Father, is there any way? Nope. So in agape love for you and me, he chose to pursue our good through the suffering because on the other side of the cross is the resurrection, is eternal life for all of us by faith. Do we trust him? Do we trust that what he's telling us is is good? That from these two commandments, everything else flows. Love God with everything I am. Love my neighbor as myself. Intentionally choose to pursue the well-being and pleasure of another regardless of condition. That's, that's the command today. You know, I don't think there's anything new here for us to figure out. I don't think it's like, oh my, never heard this before. I think what it comes down to is in this moment, will we obey? Will we choose to set our thoughts to God and our, our song to God and our receiving of communion to, to praise God and that will we choose to love our neighbor around us? Will we choose at 7.30 p.m. tonight to love our roommate? Tomorrow when we go to class or to work, will we choose to pursue the well-being and good of, of our coworker? When someone's not loving us back, will we choose to give love? That's the command that Jesus gives us. It's the way to life. He's met the conditions for us. We're just free to go, free to run. Do you trust him? Do we trust him? Do I trust him? Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.